here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105 FM in We continue the conversation on the talking point, and for the final half hour, um, this is of the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to be looking at the race for 2024. It might sound like it's a bit too early for us to be having this conversation. Uh, Professor of Politics at UNISA, Dirk Kotsa, joins me on the line. Professor Kotsa, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Good morning, thank you very much. I was saying that, you know, it might sound like it's a bit too early for us to be talking about, you know, the race for 2024. But certainly when one listens to what all the political parties, or at least a significant number of them coming out of this local government elections, all efforts and attention seem to be geared towards what will be most acceptable, what will increase their chances in 2024. Yes, that is quite a, a visible phenomenon that we've seen in the pronouncements, the, the statements about how they want, with whom do they want to be associated. Um, so clearly they, they are starting to project themselves towards 2024. Um, I think, as we know, the type of elections are obviously very different uh, because many of the smaller organizations um, that were especially prominent in the in the smaller parts of the country or the smaller towns in the country. Um, they will not be there. Um, parties like Action SA will become interesting to see if they can transform themselves from a party in two co- provinces to that of nine provinces, for example, or, or more than two provinces at least. Um, and then the, politi- the, 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 the bigger political parties, especially those who have lost in this election some support or became stagnant uh, what they are going to do because i think the message that uh, that all of them have received and acknowledged that they've received it is about that uh, voters are not looking anymore at their historical uh, sympathies and associations um, but they become more assertive in demanding much better services and governance from the governing parties and actually all parties involved in the political process Of course, it can only be good news uh, that the voters are demanding greater accountability and they are demanding that what they are promised is delivered. But what does that mean for the kind of configurations that we are likely to see in the formations of of councils uh, for these areas that have had hung uh, councils? No, I think what we've but what we are hearing at the moment, and even today again, there are parties who have published documents about the list of principles that they want to see uh, incorporated in such an, uh, an agreement and coalition agreement, um, and that they also preserve cooperation with some and others not. Um, that, uh, I think, is very much still part of the point of departure, this, the positional negotiations that they have entered into. So it's their position, it's like a tragedy, and you say we start with, we want 14%, but what we get in the end is it's something completely different. And these negotiations will follow the same pattern. Um, that is the very nature of negotiations, is that you start with a strong point, you want to present mm-hmm. yourself as firm as that you have a very clear vision of what, what you want to have. 
But most parties are not going to get that ultimately. So it is a process of convergence to a point of of common interest or of overlap between parties. Um, and that means that in some cases parties will have to make compromises. And then I think this is where uh, the skill of negotiation comes in. Um, we all know this expression, politics is the art of the possible. And in this situation, it is very much the case. So I'm quite reserved about the idea of taking this, what is said at the moment, at face value. Uh, mm. It's more positioning themselves for the negotiation process in general. What about those parties that have been explicit about not working with the ANC and have come out to to say as much? I include them in, in this, what I've just now said. Mm. You know, it's con- and con- uh, coalition negotiations are very high-risk negotiations. Uh, and it is, uh, it's very difficult to make sort of principled statements at the early stage, which later on you might regret. Um, because it can be held against you or it can close options for you that you need at some point. You know, for example, in the 2016 election, there were, and this election, the results are quite similar. In, in Limpopo, there are two smaller councils. Tabazimbi is one of them. And there, in the end, though the EFF said they don't want to be involved in any councils. They ultimately became involved in that council, in a coalition with the ANC. So there's two completely opposing parties uh, who never wanted to work together anywhere else in South Africa, but they were actually forced because there were no other option. If they still stick to their guns, um, then they will be in situations like what happened in, in, in Kutu, in KwaZulu-Natal, where they had to dissolve the council and had to have a by-election for the whole council. The same happened also in Metsumaoli, the, the greater part of Sasselburg and the surrounding areas. Exactly the same. So that's the options. Either don't participate, it becomes taught, a stalemate situation. They dissolve the council then, and then there must be a re-election. When it comes to the formation of minority governments, do you think that that is something we're likely to see in a number of these municipalities? It is not impossible, but it's 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 the last option. It is then when all other options have been exhausted and mm. they didn't work uh, because a minority government is is possible in many instances for some time in councils. For example, for most of the decisions that's taken in council, you can have a minority government, uh, and that you can have uh, therefore a, min- a majority of the votes of those who are present. But in some instances, the legislation requires that there must be a majority of 50% plus one of the members of the council. For example, when they have to approve uh, the budget of of a municipality or when they elect the speaker of the municipality. Um, And then uh, then a minority government won't work. Um, another example of where my minority governments are vulnerable is for a motion of no confidence. So, in, and that we've seen that they've done it in Nelson Mandela Bay and they've tried it also in Swami. Um, but it didn't work because, and the, and the prerequisite for a motion of no confidence to work is that the opposition must then stand together. 
um, so that they are not amongst themselves divided and don't, didn't want to vote as, as a bloc against the, the governing party or the minority gov um, government. But if they do, then a minority government is is, un, is under is there's a risk for it in mm. its existence, and it becomes very unstable. Professor Kotza, we're seeing a very interesting development in terms of how some communities are responding to the outcome of this election, where. Um, they've been protests f uh, and people are basically protesting the fact that um, certain, you know, certain parties have uh, received a certain share of the vote. Um, something that certainly I have not seen before in, in the local government election. Yes, no, this is, this is a new development. It is something which I think it's for some for some parties, the results, uh, some persons, the results are obviously a major shock, um, and therefore they believe that something went wrong in the election process, uh, and uh, that they simply don't want to accept it like this. I think this is what we've seen in other countries, where ultimately at the time of the election results, when they became uh, known or declared, um, then the real critical moment developed. You know, we think about, for example, Kenya in 2008 and Zimbabwe also and, and, other, and the Ivory Coast and others. We in South Africa haven't had that. We, our problems are normally during the election day, like we've seen this year again with some of the technical aspects and so on. But the, so far, the, the outcome, the results of elections have been uh, accepted in, in the majority of cases. And we didn't run the risk of that the uh, uh, election results themselves were questioned or that it were that the legitimacy of its results were under pressure. And so this is a new phenomenon to a large extent, and it's something that must be watched very closely because in other countries that's the risk period, that's the risk moment. Is is exact? It's here not so much on the day of the election, but rather afterwards when the election results. Become known, and if we move forward to let's say 2024, where some of the results that we've seen now at local level are repeated at provincial or even national level, mm. um, then that risk might actually become higher if it's not addressed now. Of course, it also speaks to the extent to which communities need to begin to reflect on the cost of their not participating in the election. So, you know, it's all good to say, well, I didn't vote for this person to be in charge. But if if one is not participating in the formal democratic process, it does also have its disadvantages. Yes, no, that, that is definitely my attitude also. And I think one can take it even further. You know, especially at local government level, there are more opportunities for citizens and persons residents to participate in processes in between elections. There's, for example, within 120 days now after the election results become known, um, a ward committee must be established in each ward. You know, and that's according to the legislation, this, the Municipal system, uh, Structures Act. Um, Ten persons must be elected from that community to serve on it for the, the next five years. Also, councillors must report back to their uh, wards on a quarterly basis. Now, most residents don't 
enforce this. Don't say to the councillor, we expect of you to do it. No, we are waiting for your announcement of when is the next meeting, this ward meeting that you are going to report back and, and talk about what's happening and giving us also the opportunity to participate, for example, when the integrated development plan is is going to be tabled in council where there's, there's a discussion about the budget um, in council and if it's first taken to the wards because that is what is happening. But in many instances, the, the residents are completely unaware of it. So I think they must become more of what many people call active citizenship also, that, that those who are involved, uh, the residents, um, they must also play their part um, so that it becomes ultimately a partnership and not a certain right for what the councillor is going to do. Professor Dirk Gotze, let me thank you so much for your time this morning. He's a professor of politics at UNISA. So uh, that's where things are as we speak. A lot could still happen over the next two weeks. And we really uh, are expecting that more and more as time passes by, we will have clarity on how these coalitions are likely to be formed. Lots of WhatsApp voice notes that you've sent through to the show this morning. We'll take a couple of them. Remember, on the other side of 11 o'clock, we're going to be focusing on the situation in Ethiopia, that country currently being on the brink of war. Uh, We then also look at National STEM Day, uh, science, technology, maths, uh, engineering. That's what we'll be focusing on.